All right, y'all, it's spring, and you know what that means. It's time to start planning our summer festival traveling. Yep, it's time to get into my Airbnb bag cross-country, a.k.a. uh, time to visit my homes all across the country. And you know what I never think about? Why not list my own spot on Airbnb and host some folks at my house? I mean, my house is cute. Yes, let's make money while we're spending money. Just trying to help you out, man, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Questlove Supreme sitting here with family. This is uh, uh, Fonticcolo and Laia. I keep forgetting that we're now on YouTube, and I hear we're doing well. I, I, I want to talk like an old person. We're doing well on the YouTube, I hear. That's Laia. What I hear. Yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. This is what I hear on the internet. Yes. Yo, wait. Someone, ra- all right, someone ragged me hard this entire weekend of course a vacation and and a mirror are not synonymous with each other but i took three days off to go off the grid and i gathered a whole bunch of friends and we went to las vegas to do a bunch of and i'm gonna say it correctly this time escape rooms what i didn't know was behind my back everyone's been teasing me because i've been calling it escape the room which is Right. The look on Fonte's face right now is right. Everyone finally someone had the heart to say, hey, Amir, by the way, in case you it's not a call to escape the room. It's just called escape room. They were basically telling me that I'm talking like an old black person. Did you have a good time? I had the time of my life, oh. you know, solving murder mysteries. No, yeah, as, I still yet to do one, man. I want to do one. I, me too. I, yeah. Escape rooms is how I vet who's going to get in on the inner circle. Now, you know, I've made a lot of friends word, this year. Word. No, I'm serious. Word, word. I've right. made a whole bunch of friends this year. Got to see and how you So <laughs> now I got to weed them out. And the best way to figure out who is who. Right. You, you, you only want smart people on your team. Well, no, 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 no. It's, it's not just that. No, no, no. Because the thing is, is that escape rooms and Japanese, and I mentioned like sushi and Japanese restaurants is also a, a litmus test. It's not about who succeeds or who finds it natural. It's about, I mean, even with total amateurs, it tells me a lot about their willingness to figure it out. If they don't know it, do they fake it till they make it? Do they, like, I'm, I'm telling you, es- escape rooms are are the best way to to figure out what kind of people you're dealing with. So I, I had a lot to learn this weekend. 
Anyway, my whole point was that I I used the word Yo. the, and I shouldn't have been using the. So anyway, so we're on the YouTube now, and um, I'm I'm hearing that we're doing well on yes. the internet. Uh, <laughs> on the internet, I will say that oftentimes we speak and we talk about heroes or people that we idolize, and we have the go-to names that you know the biggest achiever and all that stuff. But I will say that oftentimes we overlook certain people because uh some you know sometimes things are hiding in plain sight like your glasses on your forehead and you're tearing the room up looking for your glasses and they're like oh right here on my forehead i will say that in the preparation that i took to do this particular episode it reminded me that our guest today is probably the individual to whom I vicariously lived my life through. And you got to understand that, you know, I'm a very specific situation. Being born in 1971, three years after the 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 whole civil rights, you know, revolution, I'm, I'm born into like one of the first free generations or in terms of laws, like you're not allowed to kill us uh, or at least you're supposed to be it's, it's weird that my definition of freedom is that legally it's 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 mm. it's illegal to kill me, which is mm. sort of a sad state of affairs of where we are as a country. Um, but that said, you know, there are heroes and people to look up to. And oftentimes I was we often look up to people way older than us. Like, of course, for a lot of America, the Jackson five were the first people that we vicariously lived through as heroes. And then, you know, there's other people that came along. But. You know, when I turned into a teenager, there really wasn't, I mean, besides maybe, you know, I mean, there was Gary Coleman, Todd Bridges, and Janet Jackson, like, <laughs> Kim Fields, like, people my age, but that's the thing, when you're- It wasn't hip-hop. But, right, <laughs> w- but when, you, yeah, when you're the minority, yeah, and, you know, it might hit different for Fonte, who's way younger than I am, you know, but for me, at least- like this this gentleman was a very big part of my life as i got into like my junior high and my high school years and so and when you look at the span of his career um you can clearly see an individual who like has evolved not only you know as an actor on television but you know also in theaters on and off broadway as a musician a grammy award winning musician as a poet, as a producer, as a director, like there's so many, I mean, even as, as host of SNL, like there's a lot of even small minuscule uh, milestones that our guest has, has done throughout his life that I paid attention to. And I've been waiting so long for this conversation, not just, you know, as a, I don't know if, are we, are we journalists right now? Today we can be, I feel like we in this way. We I are. never, you know, even though we have a, a long running, you know, going on our sixth year as with this podcast, like I don't feel like we're journalists or whatever. But, you know, I, I'm not looking forward to it as a journalist, but, but just as a person that really gets to fan out and ask questions to yes. the person that he personally deemed, you know, like that person. I, I don't know what to say, but uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Malcolm Jamal Warner to Questlove Supreme. Yes, sir. Ooh, 
Well, thank yes. you, Rose. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I, I, I got to say this, though. Um, because I've listened to your show, because I know you were, you know, you were like no bullshit. You a, know, a, a geek. Uh, <laughs> there's no bullshit. Like, you know, uh, I get from you, from you and Fonte both. Like, I don't go for bullshit. Um, so I'm looking for, I'm so looking forward to having this conversation. But to be honest, to hear that from you, uh, Amir, is a trip for me. Like, like, you never know how you can affect people, right? Right. Um, and you never know how you, you know, come off to someone. You may come off to someone a certain way, and that was not mm -hmm. the intent, right? Right. Bro, I have loved you for years upon years upon years. Wow. And... Sometimes I that see is crazy you, because but, 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 no, but, but sometimes I see it, we'd be cool as hell, right? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I see you and I'd be like, Did I say something wrong last time or what? <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah, so like like honestly, I, I just spent, a I spent so much of my time like thinking, like, wow, I, I don't know, I don't know if he likes me. Like I I'm not I, sure. I think with you, all right, this is definitely the this <laughs> see, this is why this Ooh, conversation is funky. necessary. Yeah. I'm 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 at a way different place now in my life for this very specific 2023 year. Mm. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. It's 2023. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm I'm 52 now. It's, yes, it's, it's, it's way... right, like and, it. and your birthday too, Laia. Okay, and I'm 40. <laughs> it's probably springtime right now. No, I, I think a big part of my old life, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this a lot. I'm trying my hardest not to sound like the jail cat that discovers religion and then is on fire for like seven years. You know, <laughs> that that type of annoying person. But I'll just say that in this in this portion of my life. Yes, I think that I avoided. Anyone I looked up to. Mm. And dude, Steve, mm. and not, I'm not even named, like Stevie says the same thing, like you don't call me a, like <laughs> how come you don't call or that sort of thing and i think oftentimes i get in my head like oh man it's just that's that's way too you know you make up excuses so i apologize for my standoffish nature but i assure you that it this is the elephant that's afraid of the mouse and the mouse is afraid of the element thing so well i got that but I, seriously oh, uh, even yeah. even when doing I had to do international press for the movie for Summer of Soul. And someone, I think this is when I was in, um, we were in Holland and someone asked me like, you know, what was the first moment? Like, I often ask a question like, what's your first musical memory? Hmm. Someone asked me something like, what was like the moment that you felt like, oh, you, you could do this too. And I don't know if you remember this, but this was, you did a segment once on Entertainment Tonight or at least Entertainment Tonight covered it, hmm. where they gave you and four of your friends like four video cameras. <laughs> and you guys wow. shot around New York City. And I just remember <laughs> the way you're laughing right now tells me you remember. Yeah, I just remember the wow. backdrop was to the Jackson State of Shock. Yeah. However, <laughs> oh, wow. However, <laughs> I watched that moment. And again, like, yeah, was was Spike Lee a thing then? Yes, he was. However, to me, that that moment I watched, I was like, oh, we we can do other things. So yeah. that was a that was to you, that was just some 
37 year ago segment for a television show that you probably haven't even thought about in decades. But for me, that was a moment. I mean, dude, even the jamming on the one moment. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That other producer's thread that I spoke of, like mm-hmm. with the one thing we all have in common was we saw that episode. And then in two months later, we all get Casio SK1s. Word. And the first thing you do is you do all the cuss words, then you do jamming on the one, you do all the things you saw. Like it was a novelty, it was a toy. And then there's the moment you're like, oh, I could put music in this thing. And I assure you, any classic hip hop producer that started in that really got their foot in the 90s, I, I swear to God that for a lot of us, that was our moment to know what hip hop was. You know what I mean? So oh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, weird yeah. that you're you're such a part of these historical moments that you yourself probably haven't even thought of like, wow, I'm like I'm like a watershed for a lot that has happened. And, you know, you don't register. Oh, my God, this is the longest intro ever. Did, did I mention oh, he said something? In the, he said something. He said something in the middle. No, oh my no, God, no. it's like 15 minutes. Anyway, <laughs> Malcolm, how are you doing? <laughs> man, great, man. That's great. That's great. Uh, and, th- and, and yo, thank you for sharing what you shared. And I'm glad that I was right that I could bring that up in a spirit that you would receive it and it wouldn't come off like, you know, me trying to be a dick or you'd be defensive. Nah, man. Like, like Beautiful that, moment. That, that was my I'm, instinct, you know, and, and, and there might have been an older version of me that wouldn't have done it just because, uh, but you know, like you, I'm 52. I'm beginning to like really embrace like the wisdom that comes with that, you know. So to be able yeah. to have that exchange and it be as cool of an exchange that that was, uh, just I appreciate. We are we are what you call evolved adults now. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations. <clears throat> I'm serious. I've been watching it between word. two black men. It's beautiful. Word, word. Thank you. Yeah. Thank so you. I'll ask you, Malcolm. Yeah. What was your first musical memory? Hearing Graham Central Station in my mother's living room. Wow. Really? And I just remember like going, what what is that? And it never understood until 20-something years later that I when I started playing bass, I was like, oh wow. Bass is something that uh that resonated with me at you know three years old. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just remember and I know I've heard music before that, but I just remember a moment hearing um, hair and hearing this voice and then the, and the guitars and the music. And it was just it was crazy, but it had a profound effect on me. Not not to, to self-promote or self-plug, but I mean, you know, half of our at least more than half of our listeners know that. I'm currently right now at the beginning of the Sly and the Family Stone documentary. Um, but for me, one of the hardest mountains to climb, the hardest mountain to climb of this whole process isn't even Sly. Like Sly's already in the can. Sly's interviews are done. However, um, I've really, truly thought like the likelihood of getting Larry to cooperate in this thing was the equivalent of like, a, a Steph Curry shot from all the way to the other end of the court, and you pray to God that it goes in the court. And he just 
literally as of this speaking, like just agreed to be a part of it. So like I'm gonna grill the 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 hell out of Larry Graham and Yeah, yeah, take advantage of that opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Cause you know, all, all too often, like uh, uh, there's not a lot of in-depth interviews, even with you, besides like the the very little that I knew of you, like when you were like when Cynthia Horner was covering you right on magazine <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> like there's really you know, a lot of my and Theo and me. Don't forget about Theo oh, and me. Word. Come on, I had right. to pull out the whole pull out poster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Like for me, like there's there's just not much in depth information that you get to to find out about. So, but when did you first realize? Like coming, I'm assuming that you came to the base later in life. Like how old were you when you first like decided I'm going to try this? 26 that i know that has to be intimidating how long was it before you picked it up and how many years did you give yourself to really (laughs) master it (laughs) so the whole reason i started playing bass was because i was working on malcolm and eddie right and i was miserable Mm -hmm. really i was miserable on that show this is after the michelle period or no, it was Michelle was during that period, but it, but, okay. but it was because um, I had spent eight years, you know, at NBC in an environment that Mr. Cosby made everyone ultra aware of the images of people of color we were putting on the airwaves, right? Mm-hmm. So eight years of that, then I go to UPN and it was like having gone <laughs> to a top university. And then being stuck in fucking junior college. Junior college, yeah. <laughs> you know? Homeboys are out of space. Man, right, right. Yeah, but Malcolm and Eddie was not homeboys in outer space. Not, or, yeah, or the, but, but or the a, butler but, guy. Uh, but I here's forget. the thing, though. There was a lot of work that I put into. There's a, like a lot of, you know, blood, literal tears, literal sweat I put into that show. Because I came from, even though I knew what UPN's programming was, I was like, okay, well, they've seen me for eight years be a part of a show they made that made history without relying on uh stereotypes mm-hmm. so my thinking was okay well that's what they want here i've watched mr cosby run that show for eight years i know that you know the the stereotypical things you didn't see on on the show was not because the writers were not writing it it was because mr cosby was saying no that's not the show we're doing that's mm-hmm. not who these that's not who the huxables are that the drive-by mentality you have when you're writing black comedy that doesn't belong in the show so literally i watched him for eight years shutting down writers making them go back to square one and rewrite the script that's not based on stereotypes right so all Mm -hmm. that i get to upn like okay well they know how this goes and realize that one i was not bill cosby we were not doing bill cosby numbers so i would come to work every day fighting writers producers directors studio network fellow actor viewing public because there was a certain standard that i wanted to continue yeah um, uphold yeah when uphold and and upn's whole marketing thing was the antithesis of what i had come from what did the writers room look like was it a bunch of white people was it any writer? <laughs> the Whiter's room. That's new. I like that. Yeah, but what did it look like? It was mostly white writers. Uh on Cosby, I don't think we ever had more than three black writers. Wow. 
on the staff at, at the time. On Gas Cosby. How many writers are normally in the room? Oof. Uh, they could be eight, ten. So a typical sitcom will have eight to ten writers. Yeah. And a showrunner. Yeah. And yeah. they pick okay, I get it. So so Malcolm Eddie was it was the same kind of the same kind of dynamic. We, we we may have had four writers at one time. But I mean, you know, it, it just I was just miserable. Right. And I was looking for uh a hobby, something that I wouldn't turn into a career. So the directing started out as a hobby. Um and 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 that state of shock uh video you were talking about was actually that was really my entree in uh you know, let me really see what this directing thing is all about because the first Two years of the show, when we would do this Cosby show, Cosby Kids tour, me and mm-hmm. Lisa would always talk about, yeah, we want to be triple threats. You know, we want to write, act, and direct, and whoop de whoop de whoop de whoop. Like after two and a half years of saying that, I was like, let me see if that's something I even want to do, something I even can do. So the sta- that state of shock video, I laughed because that was literally my first shot at d- attempt at directing. <laughs> and then you did on the Magnificent, and you also yeah. did. Uh- any yeah. heartbreak? Any heartbreak? heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. With Brian, what was that? Brian? What I remember, they y'all were in the video. They showed the behind the scenes of Any Heartbreak. I was like, and it was you, and it was impressive because it was also the actor from Head of the Class who was a director, became a director. As oh yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Brian, Brian Robbins. Yeah, yeah. Brian. Yeah. yeah. So the so the directing started as a hobby, became a career. So by the time I was on Malcolm and Eddie, I was like, okay, I need a hobby, something that's not acting, not directing, something that will never become a career. I've always wanted to play music. I'll never be so if I in fact if I just practice scales to a metronome in my dressing room, that would keep me from caring as much about the show uh, <laughs> and putting so much of myself into the show that's not loving me back uh in the way that I would like. Let me just practice scales to a metronome. That would kind of put me in a zoning kind of place. Uh, I'll never be one of those corny actor dudes who try to do music. I'll never start a band, right? I'll never record a CD. I'll just do this. <laughs> <laughs> and then it became cut to it became a whole other thing. Cause like, like, like really who gets off from practicing scales to a metronome in their dressing room in between scenes, right? The pivot is real, man. Yeah. Pivoting is real. Yo, what's up? This is Fonte, Fontigolo from Team Supreme. Black representation in media is very important to me. I think it's important to have our stories told by people who look like us and who have shared in our common experiences. Some of my earliest influences were Donnie Simpson. Uh, I would also say Tom Joyner, Angela Stribling, uh, Sherry Carter. They were just people who told our stories with a lot of class and dignity and were big inspirations to me. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Schmurder to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. 
Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast, The Center Black Voices. It's NPR Noir. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's so weird. We're, we're having this conversation right now because right now I'll say that creatively, you know, I, I, I'm, 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 let me stop painting it like I'm being forced to, like they have guns to my head. But, you know, we've been working like for all that for all I can say is that the the roots album is essentially finished i'm definitely using a lot of you know i'll i'll think of ways to to hold up install the process you know there's a better song there's a better song but this morning i was like man you made a promise to yourself that you were going to learn how to thoroughly play piano like thoroughly play it and not that whole like three chords at like I'm a three chord at a time person where I could do three chords and then stop the thing. And then I got to figure out the next chord and figure out, and then I'll struggle through. That's like my, my level of songwriting. But, you know, I was just like, man, it's way too late for you. Like I talked myself out of the process. Like it's way too late for you to even start to think that you can play piano as good as you play drums. Like, if I could just get my piano thing down, then my songwriting level could go to the next level. But, you know, I think I I was too intimidated by the process to actually think that I could make it happen. But I'll ask you, from practicing your scales to, like, knowing exactly what you want musically and producing your own records, like, how long did that process take from 26 till when do you feel like, yeah, I could do this shit? Uh, so let, let me go back real quick to address something you said. So I, I don't. So where are you now with the needing to play piano as well as you? You know, I'm, this is probably going to be the last album in which I will go to either James Poyser or Kamal or Ray Angry and be like, okay, so I need this chord, that chord, and then like talk my way through it and sort of morph this whole CSI process of trying to figure out how to get what's out of here into the fingers. Next year, damn it, I'm learning how to play piano the, word, the way word. I really want to learn it, like word. as word. good as James, which I know takes time and, you know, 
I'm I'm trying to disprove the fact that you you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So yeah. that's why uh, I was asking uh, you. Gotcha, gotcha. How intimidating gotcha. was it to go from? I think I'm gonna learn the bass to, holy shit, I can learn the bass to. Right, right. And the winner is Malcolm <laughs> Jamal Warner for da 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 da. Like right. Okay, just real quick. So you know you don't have to you don't have to play keys. You don't have to play piano as well as you play bass to write dope songs. You know you realize that, right? I just I just want you to to keep that in mind. I've no, I've I've proven that one can only know how to play drums and still produce music. But it's just oftentimes like the ideas come like so often that you know. I feel like I'm letting great ideas go because I don't have a, an outlet to mm. get somebody to translate my, you know, yeah, yeah which is yeah. why I want to learn to do it myself. Yeah. So yeah, gotcha. speaking gotcha. of which, Fonte, do you play an instrument? Nah. Uh, well, the only instrument I officially learned to play was trumpet. Um, I played trumpet all through like middle school and like some high school, but I was, I was like all state band. I was first chair. Wait, you first chair? Yeah, I was first chair. I was first chair in like my band and like our school band. Then when I'm first chair and I'm just finding this out now. I was third chair in all state band. (laughs) But um, but then when I got to high school, you know, you couldn't play ball and uh, play trumpet at the same time, play band. So I just played football. But uh, keys, I know some I know theory. I know like just basic theory, but I'm not a player by any stretch. All the um, vocal arrangements and stuff I do is just really just by ear. You know, trumpet in hand. Could you go to where you were in eight? Hell no. Nah. My amateur is done. Man. Like I played that shit in 30 years. Um, but you like know, your my- move better blues <laughs> level. <laughs> you can sell it. You can sell it, Bleak. You can sell it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I ain't playing this motherfucker no more. Uh, but yeah, I know, I know, yeah, trumpet, uh, piano, uh, you know, I know just basic like you know, chords and just like theory. Um, and then with being around so many musicians, like particularly like vocal arrangements, like some of my nerd friends are like, oh, you sang a F major seven in that chord. I'm just like, I, I take your word for it. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but I, I know just a little, but I don't play. I'm not a player. By you? I did used to play the recorder, if that matters. I, I don't think I could go <laughs> I back to it and play you, like I used to. Yes. We're great. We're great. That was that was in seventh grade, okay, Malcolm. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah, yes. Gotcha. You were saying Malcolm. I <laughs> I'll, I'll offer you this, uh, and then I'll get into answering your question. Uh, in terms of old dog learning new tricks, I picked up trumpet two years ago. Ooh, how's it going, man? <laughs> it's Ooh, a beast. It's your breath. It's right. so nasty. It's you know, I'm I'm just getting to the point where she started to love me back a little bit. <laughs> right. But it's it's no it gives me a greater appreciation for music because I'm having a new relationship with with, with music. So like mm, so I, I picked up bass. I was 26. Right. Um, a year and a half after, you know, realizing that the, the, metro, the metronome and scales not happening. I used to hold jam sessions like at my house just to play with cats. And a year and a half after playing bass, I went to MI. I had a like a three-month hiatus from Alcmanetti. And I went mm. to Musicians Institute and their like 10-week bass immersion uh program. Oh. I was in way over my head. What do you learn in 10 weeks? It's they throw so much at you. And it was it was stuff that I couldn't, it, it was every day. And yeah, it was every day. Uh, I mean, literally, it took me a good three or four years to be able to digest what I had learned 
you know, wow, or yeah, not what I had learned those 10 weeks, but the information that I had amassed in those 10 weeks, it took me years for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Right. But I say that to say, so because I play with cats who have great ears, I dove head first into theory because I needed to at least be able to communicate. I don't have to speak the language. Right? Yeah. And, and I was also clear that, you know, like, like you know, in, in playing with other musicians and starting a band, I really can't be that corny actor dude who wants to get into music. Like, I got to take it seriously. And mm-hmm. I have to respect it enough that real musicians who I want to play with understand that I respect it enough, you know, and and want to rock with me. And, and, and as a musician, also, you know, guide me along the way. That makes sense, right? So as a bass player, I've always used music theory as my hack instead of using my ear. So mm-hmm. on bass, I can play a fourth anywhere on the neck because I know what a fourth is analytically and I know where a fourth is logistically. Not because I could hear the fourth, mm-hmm. right? So now playing trumpet- But just on muscle memory. Muscle memory and just thought. Like I know, you know, I, I, I know where a fourth is. Mm-hmm. In the muscle memory and the theory of it, I know where a fourth is. So you can get away with, okay, if I know if I know what key I'm in and I got the progression, I'm good. And you can do that without hearing. But on trumpet, as you know, Ponte, you got to hear the note mm-hmm. before you play it, right? <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, that's what a fourth sounds like. Mm-hmm. Ah, okay. It's just giving me a whole different appreciation for music because I started playing trumpet two years ago. At the time when you're doing this, going to jam sessions, like what part of the United States are you in New York? Are you in California? Like, I'm in I'm in L.A. OK, so back. Let's go back to 1995. If you want to find a jam session or a spot that will let cats work things out, like where where are you going? Like that part, it was easy because there were these cats, um, cat, Ron Cat Spearman. They had this house that was kind of down the hill from me and they were a band and they were a whole band that lived together. Okay. And so they had, you know, they they always always had the music set up down in, you know, the bottom floor of the house. So I used to go over there and kind of jam, you know, like literally I met a cat. I think actually the cat who sold me my first bass at the guitar center, he was a drummer. Mm-hmm. Right. So after doing the jam sessions at Ron Cat's crib, and sometimes they would come to my crib. And then at some point, like two days a week, I would have two different sets of musicians who I'm jamming with. When I go to MI, they had a BMI was holding a showcase there. Mm-hmm. And the woman who's when the showcase was like, listen, we're doing a showcase for BMI. Since you go here, I'd love for you to host it. You know, if I give you, I'll give you a slot to do a song and I'd love for you to host it. So I was like, well, let me do two songs. And cool. She was like, fine. I had no songs. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you. <laughs> Look, I was at MI. I know I was working on Coltrane's Equinox and uh, Love Ridges Ugly Head. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do those those two songs. And I didn't even have a band. So the band I put together were you know the different cats from the two different jam sessions, and right. I made sure that none of them played in bands together. Because I wasn't sure what I was trying to create, but I knew I wanted it like a little a mix of stuff. But you know, I still wanted to be wanted it to be my project. If that makes sense, right? And it wasn't intimidating in terms of like, I'll give you an example. Comedians have to always work out their comedy in front of a small group of people. Like for me, performing like it's no people ask all the time like, you ever get nervous to perform or whatever? 
And I'll, I'll say that, you know, a, a typical Roots concert nowadays is somewhere, you know, we're, we're somewhere in between 5,000 to maybe, depending on the marketplace, you know, nine to 10,000 people. And with that many people, there's no intimacy there. So I don't have fear, but, you know, it's always in small, smaller clubs and those sort of things. Like if you say, if Glasper is like, yo, come down the blue note and sit in a song or two, like I might legit get like uptight about it because I think in smaller intimate settings, musicianship is a weirder thing for me to do, which I know is kind of weird for me to say like 30 years into my career to admit like I have hangups about that sort of thing. But for you though, but would you were do you, it? Were you ever worried about like Wait, Amir, Amir, would you do it though? You would have your hangups and get uptight about it, but would you still do it? I would still do it because even now, and yeah, sometimes the voice of self-doubt is heavy as hell, but I I'm smart enough to just jump in the pool and say fuck it at the end of the day. But not before the anxiety of how good do I have to be to you know, because yeah, like sure, sure, sure. the the level of musician nerds that are watching Glasper are a little bit different than yeah, yeah. the crowds that you know want us to play a song that reminds them of their college period back in two thousand and three. You know what I mean? Word, yeah. This yeah. is real, real different. But for yeah. you, you were never at all like keeping this close to the chest and worrying about people that are judging you of your other profession that they seen you perfect you know, and applying it to your musician life? Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think it was, you know, maybe just part audacity. <laughs> um, okay. I'm sure there, I'm sure there's also a little, a little ego in it. Um, mm -hmm. And that, you know, when I, you know, when I was doing, when I started doing spoken word, I was, I was really active in the underground spoken word movement in LA. Right. And, Cause I was always doing poetry, always. So there's a certain of uh, you know there's a certain level of audacity to be able to be a poet, and mm -hmm. you know write your shit and be vulnerable and have people you know judge you and shit. So there's a certain level of audacity with that. But back when I started, you know there was only like one or two poetry spots, you know, in any given city you could go to. So once it got to the point where, you know, uh, neo soul you know, start to take off. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, there were poetry spots like all over the place. And now HBO's got a poetry situation. So there was, for me, it was like, okay, well, this is, you know, a really cr a crowded field. And I have a, um, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with poetry anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I also... I grew up listening to uh, to Gil Scott Heron and Brian Jackson. Like my dad right. went to Lincoln with Gil and Brian, um, and Word. my dad went to Lincoln because Langston went to Lincoln. So like oh, the whole wow. poetry yeah. thing is all like I came out of the womb listening to Gil and wow. Brian and the Last Poets. Okay. So when all this, you know, when now it seems like everybody's a poet, and now fucking celebrities are poets too, mm -hmm. right? It's and the new DJ. And, he, right, right. <laughs> I'm I'm so much on my own shit. I will I make the disclaimer. I am a poet. I am not a right. celebrity who likes to do poetry. I'm a poet. Mm -hmm. So I think 
when like when everybody's a poet, I was like, well, you know, Gil put his stuff to music. I think at some point the music was still kind of you know calling me a bit. But even before I started mm. playing bass, I used to see you guys. I mean, I don't even probably don't remember. You guys would do San Diego a lot. Belly up. Yes, man. Yeah. And I was doing a play down in La Jolla. Belly up. So mm-hmm. whenever y'all come through, you know, we'd be there. And yeah. I, at this point, I wasn't even, you know, I, I might have thought about bass, but I wasn't really, you know, seriously considered picking up bass. But I would talk to Hub about bass and and and, and jazz and jazz studies and okay. So by the time it came around to fuse the um, you know, the music and the poetry, right? It was what you guys were doing with Ursula Rucker. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like the first time I heard that first joint, like, you know, <laughs> right, right. You know? Yeah. And 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 so I had listened to that for years, even before thinking about playing bass or any of that. But when the time came that I had to put the two together, because when I started the bass, it was just to play music, right? Mm-hmm. I kept the poetry and the music separate from each other. Even though I was still doing poetry at spots and I was still doing poetry with other bands, you know, my band, like, no, we're we're like we're a jazz funk band. I'm here to play bass. Right. But what was happening, people weren't really, you know, feeling coming to see me standing in the back with the drummer. Right. So like at some point I had to uh, uh take responsibility for being a front the front man to my own band. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and then I started coming. I was coming out of pocket like two, three hundred dollars every time I did a gig because once I paid everybody, once I did print and advertising, uh, you know, I had somebody, you know, video the show. I'm coming out of pocket. So I was like, I need to sell a CD so I can at least not feel like I'm losing money every time I do a show. But right. I, had no, I had no music. <laughs> I had no music. So it was like, all right, I need to start doing poetry. I need to start, you know, uh, you know, coming up with music, do my poetry over, and then I would go back to uh to the, the unlocking. It was like, wow. yeah. And then Michelle and Didio Cello. Mm, you know, yeah. that first album was like, ah, brand new heavies, you know, they were, you know, they were popping. So mm-hmm. all of that made me go, yes, I'm gonna do poetry and I'm gonna play bass. Fuck what every other poet out there was doing. Mm-hmm. I'm on some different shit. Nobody's doing this. And I'm going to do it well, right? And it's going to be good. Right. And I know it's going to be so good that I don't care what you think about it. That's good. Right? Like, I'm trying to get there with my acting. If you told me, yo, you suck. Truthfully, I'm almost at the place where that wouldn't bother me. But it might hit me somewhere, right? You can tell me as a poet that I suck water off a duck's back it does not affect me at all because for me that's how good i feel i am wow, as a post good right so okay well if i already feel that way about the poetry and everybody's trying oh. to fill this space well let me kick it up a notch you know let me start playing bass while i'm doing poetry right but let me really learn the eddie griffin had a band right wait in real life yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know this. Um, so he had this band. It was like a, it was like a you know a funkadelic knockoff. He had two bass players. Um, is a is a Eddie Griffin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things that kind of broke the mystique for me. It's like, oh, okay, they're huh. doing funkadelic. Um, uh, and then I just watched him a lot. 
And I, uh, I watched him so much and listened to him so much and understood that he's one of those talented cats, you know, that can definitely by playing all the stuff, but he doesn't, he's not studied. He doesn't know music. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, well, if I just do that, I could get over. But if I actually take the time to study the language of music, then I could actually play with really good musicians, mm -hmm. you know, who are going to rock with me and hold me accountable and not just be kissing my ass because I'm Malcolm Jamal one. So like there was all of that, 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 that went into, um, so much about the the honor, respect, and legitimacy of being able to call myself a musician around really good musicians, and they can actually acknowledge me, you know, and be legit. Like that's the long game uh, that I was going for back at twenty eight. And I think too, I think you, I think there's also a thing as well with actors, with musicians. If you're an actor doing music, we know for damn sure you're not doing it for the money. <laughs> like true, true word, word, you, you know what i'm word, saying word. like we know like okay if you're here you're here to for a choice you know what i mean you're making a choice to be here because you could take care of yourself so much better yeah <laughs> right, you know what i'm saying right, doing right. tv doing movies doing whatever so right. there and, is there is some skin in the game in that and way and putting up product with no label you know no promotional budget like mm -hmm. none of that like everything like coming straight out of pocket mm -hmm. right no union to no, no, right. <laughs> right. But for me, it's about the art. Like, like yeah. I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm creating art and I'm creating timeless art. So who was the first peer that saw what you were doing and was like, keep doing that? And you it really kind of stamped it for you. I mean, even though you did it mm. already be stamped. Um, you mean in terms of the music side of the, so, the poetry? No, in the music side. Music side. I, I got the poetry because Ursula Rucker just texted me about you, so I get it. Wow. <laughs> I think early on, Layla Hathaway, because me, okay. me and Layla go way back. And okay. um, so when I first, you know, put this band together and I'm out gigging, you know, I had a female vocalist and Layla would come to my gigs. And when the vocalist would sing, she would leave. <laughs> what? That's actually on brand for Layla Hathaway. <laughs> right. And, and but 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 it's so much Layla. It, it's so much Layla. It's not Layla being a dick. It's like she like if it's not working for her, she literally cannot physically be it. And we like when you, I think when you're one of the best at something, like, mm -hmm. I mean, we, when we had Dave on, he was saying like how it's hard for him to watch other comedians, sure, you know right. what I'm saying? Because it's just, you know, you just constantly looking at how you could do it better. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then with Layla, I mean, with her being, you know, one of yeah. the singers okay. in the world. Yeah. I could see her, you know, walking out. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> so that I, being you know, said, I know we wasn't talking about it, but does that mean you're going to talk about Jesus' children and how that, that came together then? Because that's kind of a beautiful word. circle back. Word, word. Right? Um, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So just, just go back real quick. Yeah, sorry. But no, just, just later. This is probably the first backwards episode of Questlove <laughs> Supreme where we started the end. We said it was a lot of <laughs> right. right? Try our way backwards. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how conversation goes, all right? Right? Yeah. yeah. So Layla would later would, would would come to my gigs often, right? So even if she didn't dig, you know, whatever singer we had, she was still supportive and would, you know, and I know she wouldn't be rocking just, you know, because. 
So that Wait, was by the way, can I, let me interrupt one second. That singer never found out, did they? Um, hopefully. Well, there were a couple of different <laughs> singers, you know, at different different yeah. shows. So uh, may none now of them they, be listening. Now to they're going to hear this episode. Like, I know that it wasn't me. Anyway, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and they ain't talking. He ain't talking about me. Right. Exactly. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> but Jesus' children. Kevin Teasley, who was my, my my MD at the time, had office space in um at Westlake. And okay. he's at Westlake, you know, Rob's at Westlake, and they're talking, and you know, uh, you know, Kev's telling me he's you know MD in my band, whatever. So, so I come over, you know, I'm hanging out. They're doing um, and Layla's actually recording Jesus Children. Okay. Okay. And and so I'm there and she knocks it out in one take. Um <laughs> and you know, Rob is playing to me this musical interlude, and he was telling me how um, his homeboy uh, had a daughter who was uh, killed at Sandy Hook. Oh, damn. Wow. And he's going to write a poem, you know, and it's going to go here and whole nine. I was like, yo, that's that's dope, right? Um, so we're hanging out, and then about two weeks later, he's in town. He's back in town, he's, and he's mixing the record. And Rob is like, yo, you know, my man... He couldn't do it. Like, you know, at, at the you know 11th hour, it really hit too close to home. Do you have a poem about Sandy Hook? And I was like, no, but if you give me the track, I'll go upstairs and write one. So he gave me his iPod shuffle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Yeah. Time. And I went upstairs. And in about an hour or some change, he came upstairs. And like I spit it to him. He was like, it wow. is it. And that was at a time where I was doing, I was doing a lot of writing at the time. So it was clearly like a time where I needed to be on my A game. And it was just a point in life where I was on my A game because I was doing so much writing at the time that I was, you know, I was able to go up and I know it sounds corny when writers talk about, oh, well, you know, God was just using me as the vessel and, you know, yada, yada, yada. That's all I say now. So. (laughs) <laughs> Welcome to the like, club. <laughs> that's, it's, and it's a real thing. Like, and I guess you have to experience it to like really understand that it's a real thing. And it can sound corny and cliche, but like that's some real shit. And that night, like the vessel was open, and the universe just said, and I just took it all and you know. <laughs> no, that's it's it's real. It's it's not corny at all. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. 
Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. I have to say that I really admire the fact that you are covering poetry because all all too often, I think a typical move would have just been like, okay, you're an MC now, you're a rapper, that sort of thing. And the fact that you took on poetry is super admirable. I know that, you know, Tariq's process is he's such a morning person, like literally like wakes up, you know, does whatever, his yoga and exercise, all that stuff, like like at 5 a.m. He's like the opposite of Quincy Jones, where Quincy Jones said that, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that 1 a.m. is where he gets his magic from. Tariq is like a in bed by 9.30, 10 p.m. early person. And between 6 a.m. and maybe 9 a.m., that's usually when the lion's share of ideas come like that's his writing time like you're never to interrupt him wow before 11 a.m because from five till then that's that's his that's his moment that's his that part so of his sense. process that makes so much sense always wanted to know because oftentimes you know Tariq will also have like these assignments to do like this guy wants him to rhyme on that shit or you know that or he has a deadline for a record but is poetry the same and i, I guess you could answer to this also fonte like for a writer, when you have a blank page and the idea isn't coming, like, can you sort of in record time, like, regurgitate words to be right, right, poems? Yeah, I mean, you can. You know, I, I mean, listen, the thing I tell everybody, man, the blank page kicks everybody's ass. Like, I don't care if you've written a million books, if you've sold a million records, you know, um, it don't, you know, if that blank page or that blank screen or whatever, that is the great equalizer because no matter how many times you've done it, you still got to do it again. You know what I mean? And it's, and it's, you know, that blank page is that shit is intimidating. So um, yeah, it definitely is a time where, you know, we are somebody like Tariq and I mean, Malcolm, just, you know, someone that's been in the game for so long, we've been in it so long to where it's like, it's kind of technically impossible to be bad. You know what I mean? But my mentality is always good is the enemy of great. We're, I'm so technically good. Like, I can just write something. It'll be good, but I ain't going for good. I'm trying to be great. You know what I mean? And so a lot of times if you're under the gun, um, that's kind of where the, I think the alpha state thing can kind of come because you're not thinking and you just kind of just writing. And it's like, oh, yeah, 
this shit just kind of came out. But uh, it definitely is a, a, a degree of professionalism where I just think um, it's not about inspiration. Inspiration is fleeting. You know what I'm saying? Inspiration, you can be inspired one day and you may not be inspired again, you know, for months. But uh, it's more so just about dedication, just dedication to the craft. And just the more you do it, you know, even if I'm not for me every day, even if I'm not writing, I'm always having just some kind of prompts or something like I may just like take a word. I hear a word I hear on TV or something and I'll just write like 10 words that rhyme with that word. You know what I mean? Or 10 So that's your exercise in your memo, like in your in your iPhone memo. Yeah, like you got I'll page have, after page after page of yeah. I'll have string of rhyming words or just prompts or ideas, and then I'll just contextualize it later. You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, it, it definitely is a, a, a practice. And for me in my career, you can do it at any time if you just say, "Hey, I need something." You know, you can turn it around. But um, it's that memory, that working that muscle, trying to be you know get that greatness consistently over and over and over again um that for me is always the best practice and what's your what's your general practice with with poetry like does it hit you when it hits you or do you give yourself like exercising assignments to you know to write i would really like to do that i, I would really like to be more disciplined in my writing practice now that i'm older i understand why yoga is considered a practice I understand why law is considered a practice, you know, mm -hmm. and now, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting into the frame of mind that I need to treat my writing as a practice. So when I have an assignment, it doesn't take me as long because like lately, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm not I'm not writing, you know, with the output that I was, you know, it may take me a little longer to write a piece, but I have to. You know, I love putting way too much on my plate, so I'm always fighting. I'm constantly <laughs> fighting overwhelm you know so just trying to practice bass you know now practice horn um you know put time into writing but the production and being a present husband and father it's like there's so much uh so i keep being overwhelmed but i think i it would serve me better if i can find a discipline like Tariq or like you find they find something that doesn't have to be you know, a sit down do, but, you know, take 10 minutes and, you know, just check in where, where am I and just write from there. I think that would benefit me greater than the path of, okay, well, you know, when I get something uh, or, ha or I have to write this out, let me, um, I'll see where I am. And, you know, at some point the inspiration will hit me, you know, yeah. or I'll figure out what the outline is. Like there's <laughs> no, there's no one uh, single approach to my writing that is the one sometimes for me like it's something that you know it goes from a drought to a deluge right it just goes from nothing and then all of a sudden everything just kind of comes um do you have those moments where you kind of go back and forth where the words just it's quiet and then all of a sudden it just comes out of yeah. nowhere yeah like there's some poems that you know that will it'll take me weeks to write but then you know there's a time ross sit down and the, it'll just <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, then you finish it and then you, you know, and you come back a couple of days later and you read it. At least for me, my experience is like I read it and then go, wow, I I really meant every word <laughs> of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like and and for it to come out the way it came out and every word of it be true. Wow, that's really dope. Again, feeling like, OK, well, that's the channel. 
and the channel's opening up and like let it all come and just I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm, I'm writing as fast as I can. Let me ask because I will say, especially in the times that we live now, this entire year feels like a five year period. I feel like everything that's happened to me this year happened like five years ago. And I'm reading lines like, oh, holy shit. That was March. So my question to you is, one, I'm really curious about your latest miles long album title, which is Hiding in Plain View. You'll be pressed to find any interview I've done in the last year where the quote hiding in plain sight literally was that was my story like you know even whatever like the evolution of who I am now yeah 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 I was the king of hiding in plain sight like and everything so one that struck with me but two it's also seven years in between projects which you know, if this one year feels like five years, then I know that seven years for you has to almost be like 20 years. I forgot what what album it was. So Stevie had an album coming out and it was it had been a lot of years since his album. Kind of love. And it's they asked him album, why, you know, what took so long? And mm-hmm. he said, you know, sometimes you have to live life to have something to write about. To write about facts, you know. So a lot of it was just you know, adjusting to, you know, moving to to Atlanta, you know, do, being on the resident, you know, being a, a husband and father, you know, just at, at some point, it's it, it's really hard to balance, uh, or rather, I, I've not become successful at balancing it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the three things that I can't let falter is work, my wife and my daughter. So I found my myself in the, in the you know, days of um, especially during the pandemic and not having childcare help. Mm-hmm. Um, there were days where I didn't get to touch music at all because I had to, you know, there was work and I had to be with my daughter and my wife. So just in that of just living life outside of music and poetry, there was just all these things that were, you know, forming for me, thought processes, uh, you know, what I'm thinking about politics, what I'm thinking about, you know, the state of hip hop now versus when I wrote Project Image, you know, <laughs> on an album that came out 17 years ago, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, where am I now? Where am I with, um, you know, how I see, uh, you know, how I see the game, how I see the matrix, how much, you know, how do I, in some way, it's also been like, how do I get across what Mr. Cosby was trying to get across, but it got fucked up. (laughs) Uh, Right. Right. What Dr. Dyson wrote a book about. Right. 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 Yes. 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 I was going to ask you if you, and if you have, you know, I haven't heard it, you know, my, my apologies, but have you written a a poem about Mr. Cosby and your experience with it? Or is that something you would explore? I mean, there's no, there's, there's really no reason for me. Gotcha. And when I say read about, I don't mean like about him, but you know, about the experience, about you know whatever is it? Yeah, that's not a, um, that's not a poem, um, yet. And at some point, again, I'm living life, so yeah. at some point it may become, it may become come a poem. Up. Yeah, but I don't know. And now that you plant the seed, something may, you know, may definitely <laughs> come. <up>. Yeah. <laughs> so many so many things so many even from what you were talking about with Malcolm and Eddie and what you learned and how you grew up like in that TV world which is 
just a one of a kind experience yeah, for yeah. that time. Yeah. Like, and having that power, like you said, when you realized you weren't him and walking in that writer's room, there's so many angles to take. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know, like, yeah. that's just being present to it all. And to the Dr. Dyson's point <laughs> as well. Like, <laughs> Wait, what book was that, Laia? Because it's Bill Cosby, right? Yeah. That was what the he name of the book, book was. He wrote a whole book about what he said about us on that fateful day that usually people talk about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I see. So again, I think this, this this part of it was, you know, how do I um how do I not have what happened to his message happen to, you know, for, for the message I'm trying to, you know, mm-hmm. to give. So there were people that I actually consulted with, like um Professor Danny Williams at at, at over at Howard. I, you know, that, that that's the homie. So like I, I, I conferred with her with, you know, some of the writing uh, just to kind of make sure, okay, you know, and, and, and there's a certain, you know, lens through which I'm, you know, because of the lens through which I'm watching, I'm not necessarily aware of how this could be misinterpreted, um, you know, in another way. So, you know, Dana right. helped me out with that a great deal. Um, and there's another piece I took to another poet just to kind of get some feedback on. So just all of these things have been brewing. One of the tracks on here I was listening to, I was listening to it and it actually made me think about what happened to Amir this year in February. Like, and I was like, was he, is he referring to that? Oh, it was, uh, oh, which, which track was it? But yeah, what happened at the Oscars? It made me, it was talking about that and showing their true feelings and and when when Black men really put themselves out there. Oh, it yeah. just made me uh, think of that in that way. For you though, in March of 2020, like what adjustments have you had to make? And like, how did you deal in the last two years from from the pandemic and quarantine until where you are now? Mm, that's a great question. Like for me during that time, like it was a, you know, it was a fucked up time, but it was a beautiful time for, you know, for my family because it was literally me, my wife and my daughter. Right. right? You know, and and for for my daughter to have mommy and papa both at home all day, every day, she was in heaven. <laughs> um, so for our unit, you know, it made our unit stronger in that we had the opportunity to have to be in each other's presence like all the time and 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 really, really enjoy each other, you know, and, and being able to have that time because my, uh, my daughter was two when COVID mm-hmm. broke out. So to be able to have that kind of time and that kind of family time uh, uninterrupted by work felt really good, you know? So I think that that kind of informed really everything else, if that makes sense. Did you do a lot of writing during that time or was it just- Yeah, so, so what happened was I, you know, so I, I've been knee deep in, I've been neck deep in, in Ableton for- Wow, forever. Okay. Like, like yeah. I, I took an Ableton uh, online course at Berkeley in like 2014. <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm, I had Ableton and was Ableton 3.5. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I was 11. Right. <laughs> you right. know, but, but back then I didn't really understand it. So I put it away until they came out, until nine came out. But so 2020, I was like, I'm going to do a, re- a record and I'm going to do all the production myself. Not because that's what I want to do moving forward, but since, you know, let this be my quarantine, mm. me, myself, and Ableton EP. Yeah. Get the shed. Yeah. 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 So that's where a lot of the record came from because 
you know, I I I got into a five song EP, and then mm-hmm. I did a great job of self sabotaging myself. Said, so, well, maybe I let me let me add two more songs, right? Mm-hmm. Let me flush it out with seven songs. All right, I'm gonna do that. And then life happened, and it never got done, right? As you know, I just kind of sat wanting to do something, but they kind of sat on it. It wasn't, you know, at the height of a, a priority list, especially mm-hmm. now when everything's streaming. It's like, well, one, I can put it out whenever whenever you want right i'm not gonna make any money off of it so there's really no rush into finishing so i i did all of that to self-sabotage finishing the record (laughs) and then last year when the grammys announced they were doing the uh you know finally doing the uh spoken word poetry category i was like oh is that new (laughs) yeah yeah this is the first year i thought there was always a spoken word yeah but not so spoken word uh traditionally was included poetry audiobooks audiobooks comedy yeah. too huh? comedy yeah okay so you, you know, got your own category yeah so like two years ago um Sekou, uh edwards had an album that was nominated but michelle obama won right, right. <laughs> well, you she know beat me too like right like <laughs> exactly so finally after years of campaigning they finally opened up the uh best spoken word poetry album can i take this rare 10 seconds out to pick up my my sister dawn thompson i i rarely i mean i i rarely go there but i will say that i've never known a human being that is on damn near a tasmanian devil level of trying to bring change to to naris and and the entire grammy organization and i i think even saying that might be putting her on the spot a little bit too much yeah but she's doing it the right way locally too like for her hometown like that's what's up yeah but i mean like she's really in the trenches in ways that i never because the thing is is like yeah i'm i'm a part of the academy but i don't go to those damn meetings you guys Amir's not saying his sister is the president of local cha- Philadelphia chapter of, of Naris. That's what yes, we're she, talking I, about. I, I'm okay. sorry. I forgot that part. Yes. But, you know, she also is like there for countless and billions of hours for like things that you don't think about. But yes. like the level of happiness that she felt. And it wasn't like she was giving me a daily progress report of, OK, I'm working on trying to get these these categories and da da da. It wasn't like that. But I just know that. One of her biggest challenges was, all right, I now have to be the change that I want to see implemented in an industry, you know, because she came to the industry just like I did as an artist. Also, big up to Alicia Butterfield, too, because, you know. Yeah, exactly. The sisters is doing it. And yeah, my whole point is with my sister that. Sorry. I got to. Well, no, no, no. I'm saying I, I got in the door. You know, luckily to make to make a, a living, I got in the door. She had to go kind of the the the, the scenic route to get there, but I definitely know that she was uh, a part of, of almost you know a long, 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 long process of getting these these categories uh, changed so that other you know so that artists can actually get to reap the benefits of their work and quick disclaimer for people who don't know don thompson is comes mm-hmm. from an independent artist perspective and she's not there for her uh her brother relation she's there because she know the struggle big up to Dawn for that yeah. 
I have to say that. I said at the top, like everything that you said, especially with, with being a self-saboteur and all those things, like that that has been me decades. Like I'm now just dealing with this year of shedding myself of all those things, like of me noticing how I hold back my own process and those things. So I, yeah. I feel like I'm hearing the code words from you and I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. We, <laughs> this might be a birds of a feather moment. <laughs> yeah, Same man. Age. Congratulations for one, being able to acknowledge it and uh, being courageous enough to you know, not do things the same way, right? It's still um, an everyday struggle, though. No doubt. No, yeah, yeah. I, re <laughs> I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> tomorrow, yeah. Tomorrow's a new day, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, man. you know, I at least, I'm at least very much aware of, you know, you can either manifest something or you, you can manafuck something. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been the king of manafucking for a long time, so. <laughs> I hear you, <laughs> Wow. Okay, I'm gonna tell you the like the real, the real shit. Let's go. Come That's on. what we're here for. I want to name the album "Black Fist Beautiful." Okay. <laughs> Who walked you back? My wife. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, she was like, you know, that's corny, right? That's exactly what she said. That's exactly what she said. It leaves nothing to the imagination. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, dude, and I was like. <laughs> but how do I so, show that I'm this black? <laughs> <right>. <laughs> so, you know, I can't, so I'd always loved the, uh, I'd always loved, loved the title Hiding in Plain View. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to name, I'm going to name the album Hiding in Plain View. I told my wife in record, and she was like, you know, you're not really hiding. I mean, <laughs> everything you're writing about is exactly what you feel. <laughs> so you're not really hiding. So she was like, in what hmm. ways do you hide? <laughs> pow, pow. Tell me. Right. Right. So yeah. she put me in that, you know, she put me in that space. She's like, write about that. Yes. You yes. Know? And, yes. Oh, yes. Why? You know, and then that poem was actually something different too, because it uh it started different and the play on words, like it's so fucking dope. And I, you know, I was mixing with this other poem and trying to show some kind of vulnerability. Like, let me start the poem, you know. Just spitting like like you know technical shit, just so you know that I'm a wordsmith and and and, mm -hmm. and I can do things with words. And then let me hit you with the vulnerable. And to me, I thought it was dope. And my wife was like, "Yeah, it sounds like two different poems." Mm -hmm. I'm like, "All right, cool. You're not really a poet. Like you don't really get it." That <laughs> <laughs> your wife, you A and R so, not here. So, so, so she she's <laughs> your sounding board. Yeah, yeah, yes. But I called a, a, another poet friend of mine up. It's like, yo. You know, man, it, it felt like two different poems. Mm -hmm. mm. Oh. Mm. Mm. Okay. I, I use the term kill your kids because <laughs> when you, no, when you create something, oh. you know, like right now there's over 600 roots ideas. And it's like, dude, just pick 14 and let's have the record already. So, you know, you don't want to let the other. 584 songs go but you know they're going to have to go down the drain eventually at yeah, least for this project yeah, yeah. but how open are you to take that advice well okay i know that 
you you said that you know your wife's not you're not a poet da 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 da. I I tend to keep I keep I keep an expert and I keep what I call the and I'm being very nice when I say this the 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 common person factor <laughs> behind their back something like the idiot factor. So yeah. But I think that it's it's good to have both opinions of people that have no emotional connection to you whatsoever and your yeah. work to give an opinion. And you, and usually with great art, you'll find out that, you know, like as in the case of you, Malcolm, your wife is saying one thing, but then you hit your poet, homie. He's saying the same thing as well. So it's like there's a universal truth that's there. You know what I mean? And so did the other three people. I'm looking back at my wife like you got it. I won't I won't sleep on you next time. So then when I when I totally rewrote the poem, right? And I was like, ah, this is ah, this is dope right here. Like this is it. And I played it for her. She was like, let me read it. I need to see it. And then Damn. there were there were, a, there were a couple of tweaks that she made that made me go. Thank you, Malcolm, for not sleeping on your wife yet again. <laughs> all right, all right. Right. So she just gave me some some tweaks and some finishing touches that really makes it, you know, really what it is. So 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 I stay open, but at the same time, I gotta tell you this story. Ah, mm ah, -hmm. uh, and you know, it's it's fucked up, but but let's go. It says a lot about a lot of people, and then also says a lot about how I feel about myself and 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 who I am and owning myself, right? Okay. So, wrote the song with Wayman Tisdale. Oh, okay. Right. We were doing a jam session, and you know, we recorded it, whatever, and you know, we had like a little demo. It was in my hard drive. Uh, you know, Wayman passed, and you know, I pulled that out. It was like, you should do something. Should do some of that. So I I I, I arranged this whole song uh, based on on this demo that he and I did. I, you know, I, I played the song live like for years. My last record, I want to put the song on the record. Um, mm -hmm. I had barter services with uh, Chris Dave on another project. So um, I called in the favor from him was like, yo, you know, like the drum program is cool, but like, I really need some live drums behind us. It was like, cool, you know? So he comes in, he kills it. Then a few weeks later, uh, I get a call because the engineer who was who was helping me produce that record was also producing um, uh, Chris's record, right? So I get mm -hmm. a call and dude's like, uh, yo, I got a surprise for you. Pino came through and laid bass on your joint. Oh. Right? Oh. So I'm like, whoa, that's dope. But wait a minute. I'm playing bass on that record, okay? And that's the record that I wrote with Wayman. I spent uh, years performing this song live, right? Like that's my shit. Mm. And when I listen to it, Pino, you know, Pino did Pino, right? So there's no that question about the shit was butter. Technically, but it, right. It was yeah. a whole different vibe from what I had spent years with. And I'm like, ah. so I went to seven different people. I said, listen. These are here's the two um oh, you know, no. two approaches to the bass. I'm trying to I'm not sure which approach I'm gonna use for the song. Which do you like? Didn't tell him who was playing what. No, no, didn't give me any backstory. Line. Right. Back, um right. five other people, they they're like, yo, it's really dope, but I I really like this one. And that's mine. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Uh the two other people knew the story 
And they were trying to convince me that would be really dope because to say I've got Pino and Chris Dave on my record. It would uh, make right. a bigger yeah. record. And the uh, algorithms and the whole nine. So, right. yeah. so at the last minute, I decided it was like, you know what? I'm going to kick myself in the ass for the rest of my life every time I play this song and Pino's on it and I'm not. Right. And again, not that I'm better than Pino. Like, that's not like, don't let anybody attempt to misinterpret that. <laughs> but right. so I ended up, I called, I called the you know, producer and I was like, yo, I thought about it. I'm going to use, I'm going to use my bass. He says, ah, well, you know what? You know, I, I didn't want to tell you this, you know, but Chris said, if you play bass on it to take his drums off. And that producer uh, was also supposed to mix my whole record. Uh, so he said, so I got to take Chris's drums off. I got to take my keys off, give you your files back, and you got to find somebody else to produce the record. Wow. That's real shit. That's fucked up. That's real fucked up. But, Awkward. and you go listen to it. The song's called, song's called High on Love, right? And, you know, you may think it's, <laughs> you may think it's whack, but it's not whack. And if you said it was whack, I'd be like, cool, that's your, you know. Again, I'm not Pino, right? It's not, you know, I'm not saying it's, you know, right. I do me, right? Do you, no regrets, right? Not, no regrets. So that's my thing. Like, I had to really go, wow, I'm getting ready to take Pino Palladino off my record for my shit. Yeah, nah. But and I feel that strong about it. I stand yeah, on it. Yeah. You gotta stand on it. Sometimes I, I will, and I can attest to this as well, sometimes only the best won't do. Hmm. You know, I think I think oftentimes, especially, you know, there's there's a B.C. and the A.D. And for me, I think the moment in which I learned this lesson this year where someone told me that, okay, you get into something brand new and you're you're in the space of being a creative and then once you're after that and you experience some sort of success, then you're in a space of not being a creative, but you're in a space of where you're now succeeding. Like, in other words, you're thinking about how to maximize or capitalize maximize on the moment the thing versus how to make the thing. Yeah. yeah and and it's it's sort of <laughs> and the, the thing that I think that's being lost here, at least on their side of the fence, is that. You know, this is still a creative expression for you. This is still therapeutic for you. This is still like it's your project. You know, it it would be like me. Like I, I think Chris Davis God. Would I want him to drum in, in proxy of me on the next Roots record? That might be a little weird. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I'm not making the Roots record as in like to be successful, but I'm that's your baby. Yeah, it's like it's your, your own creative expression. Yeah. So you're you're well within your right. Even if the Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> came down on earth and played based on your joint, like you still gotta I understand your decision. <laughs> All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, what I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. 
I mean, my whole house? Uh, well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done your your first joint came out in 2002 i believe 2000, yeah 2003 yeah it was, it was yeah, like yeah. right after the millennium started so are you able and i'll ask you to find like i feel like i'm interviewing two artists here is it easy to go back to listen to the first thing you ever created and you're fine with it or you're like super critical of it, you know, compared to right, right. it's all it's 20 years into the game now for you. All I hear is mistakes. All I hear, all <laughs> I hear. Oh God, man. All I hear is mistakes. Um, but, but you know, but so the listening for you is like organics. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God. What? Yeah. I mean, I can listen to it. You know what I mean? I haven't, I haven't listened to it in some time. Well, I've, you know, been, listen to it for the, the the for the film but like i can listen to that stuff but again i just hear it i'm just like god i sound so young i sound mm-hmm. so whatever you know what i mean and it's just you know it's cringe you know what i mean wow and you made a bonafide classic <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> thank you man yeah. but no nah, i mean but i just look at it you i've over the time just you know the years i've been doing this I just learned to look at albums as, or whatever it is, albums, poems, whatever it is you make. I just look at it as a snapshot of where you were at that time. Yeah, you know what right. I mean? You have to look at it like a photograph. Right. You know okay. And you can't look at it like, oh man, I'm so much better now. You know, but it's like, yeah, I am, but this is where I was back then. And I, and I, and I, I better be better now. Ex- exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because if yeah. I was looking at, listening to the old shit, like, damn, this dude was better. Like, and I got a problem, nigga. You know what I mean? Because I ain't got better. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If I feel like I got to chase my old shit. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of been my thing. But I, I very rarely listen to older stuff. It's, it's kind of cringe, cringeworthy. How about for you, Michael? Yeah, I can listen to old stuff and appreciate where I was at the time. You know, and then also, you know, I listen to that stuff and, you know, again, I appreciate, it makes me really appreciate, you know, Malcolm then, especially coming from the journey of how this whole thing started anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The fact that I can 
uh, I, I always wanted to, I always want to make timeless music, mm-hmm. right? Um, I want <laughs> the content to be timeless. Uh, because you know, I still listen to Gil, and like you know, damn everything Gil was talking about, we're still <laughs> it's the same living. shit. You know, why he's still on the moon? <laughs> right. Listen, <laughs> you know, it's the real like, shit. Straight up. You know, I want someone to you know to go back, and, and it's happening now because when I send people to like you know the Spotify or or, or the the Hiding in View album page, you know the catalog comes up. So people who don't right. know that this is like my fourth record, they go back and they listen, but it's all still relevant. <laughs> Right. It's all still it's all still listenable. Mm-hmm. You know, I still stand behind, um, you know, even though I may like some, you know, some joints better than others. Yeah. I'll still stand behind um, just like my acting work. I'll, I'll stand behind anything in my body of work right. and my music. I do the same, except I don't use nigger in my music anymore. Uh, but like, you know, my first two records, mm-hmm. I did. Right, because you know, that's you still where say I was. it though, right? And I'm not, still, you still say it though. Uh, I, 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 I replace it with comedy. Oh, all right. And actually, and and if you listen to uh, on the album, uh, there's a joint called "So I Run Prelude." I got you. And so on the record, I have I have Doctor uh, Daniel Black on the record, who is and my alma mater. Oh, word. Okay, there you go. He's assistant uh, assistant professor of African American studies at Clark. Mm-hmm. So I interviewed him sometime last year. Uh, because there's a bed of music in this this piece called Asante Sana that I wanted to have him just talk. So he ended up dropping so much knowledge that I put him all throughout the album. I will dare to say that my album, Hiding in Plain View, is one of the is, is one of the most important albums to come out in 2022. And I know I'm putting a lot on it. But I'm also saying that because of the the gems that Dr. Black is dropping all over this record is it's 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 important. It's almost vital that we need to hear these messages. Like I, I tell people, my record is for us, is for black boys, is for black men, is for black people. It's for non-Black people who have the foresight enough to see our self-healing as an invitation for them to explore their own necessary healing. Okay. This is how we do a tribunal. I was wondering how you were a tribunal, and I, I think you finally got it, Malcolm. <laughs> <laughs> because how do you keep them out, but maybe still once that get it in? So thank you. I'm going to steal those words. Because <laughs> this album black as shit, and P.S. He still named the song Black Fist. I didn't name a song. You know what? It's it's funny. Song is fine. Yeah, I did a song because I, I there was this, I was working a song, couldn't figure out the title because initially it was just you know C minor seven to F minor seven, so like mm. I had to give it a real title. And once I you know I got to writing the piece, my wife was like, "Won't you name that Black Fist Beautiful?" I was like, "I thought you didn't like it." She was like, "It's not the album, not an album title." But- Right, that song is like all day. She's a genius. So yeah, she is. She she is. I she love is. that. Nice. But so so I I know I put a lot on on that album, but that's how I strongly feel about it. And again, I strongly feel about that. Um, I feel a, a big part of that statement is because of Doctor Daniel Black. And saying all that, say there's a prelude called "So I Run Prelude," and he does a uh, a bit about nigger. Mm, that's the end got there. Yeah, I was, yeah, I was like, stuck I think it's at hiding and It's like okay. track eight. It but is. um, 
and even though I was adopting comrade uh, before this conversation, he just has a really you know, an interesting way that we should at least uh, Cons- consider. I'm open. I'm to open. Hearing what it's to a struggle. Like, Any, I, it is, but then it's like anything to keep them from saying it. So I don't know what we got to do. Right. <laughs> it's getting worse. The numbers are growing. I know, I know that for me, on the East Coast, at least, like there's in Philly, we had something that's similar to like the New Yorican society and the, you know, like yeah. there's Trapita Mason, Jill Scott, Ursula Rucker in Philly, uh, New York. There was the, the New Yorican cafe where poets came. What was that environment in L.A.? Like where would one like if if Robin Harris is working out at the Comedy Act Theater? Right, right. What was the New Yorican or the the. Like, where did black poets hang in L.A. during that period in which you're looking for your tribe? Like, yeah, there are uh, two places, uh, Fifth Street Dicks and the Mert Park. OK, and that's where you're going to find the open mics, the poets, the jazz heads, the old jazz heads, the young jacks heads, everyone who everyone who was at, 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 at Crenshaw High, every musician, you know, spent time shedding at Fifth Street Dicks. And then uh, over in West LA, uh, there is a place called Lucy Florence. And every Tuesday night, a poet by the name of Deep Red would do a uh, what was called Red Sea Poetry. And, but anybody uh, who's coming 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 up on the scene in LA would work out at at uh, 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 right now. Right now, he goes by Spoken Yoga on Instagram, but it's Deep Red Spoken Yoga. But I always had to give him props because he provided. He provided a really dope space and environment for you know poets coming up. And there's also fly poet, uh, the fly poet in LA, John Hensley. Uh, he would do a monthly thing, but he would he would only he would vet the poets. It would be a monthly thing, but they were all features. So you know, he was really good about you know getting budgets to be able to pay uh, you know poets to come in and uh, you know put some money in their pockets uh, but you would go to fly poet knowing that you were, it was not an open mic you were always going to get uh, a hot legit poet on that stage damn that's so the response when did you move to atlanta in 2018 oh, okay man. Um, but you know what i i have to go back because it would it would be it would be a huge diss if i didn't shout out the poetry lounge that was also another spot where uh, and 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 outside of LA, the uh-huh. Poetry Lounge is probably the the more uh, popular, the more well known spot. Uh-huh. Um, but for those of us who were coming up on the scene in LA, uh, we were definitely at Red Sea Poetry. Um, you know, a lot of people did work out at at the Poetry Lounge and John Henry spot. Yeah. I just didn't want to go without shouting. It's kind of a part of my life that I missed, like in the early Square Roots days, like. Tuesday nights at University of Penn. That's you know, like Rich Medina on the spot. Have, have, was yeah, doing, exactly. Like Rich was Medina doing poetry. And, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of brothers who 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 repeat words like this, that, that, and this, then that, and the other, and da da da. And that like I I miss, I really miss. I just hear little brother songs. I'm sorry. I just hear yo yo. No man. I see. That's that's what really drew me. See. <laughs> Part, yo, when I heard that verse, Fonte, I was like, first of all, Fonte, 
fuck you. <laughs> and second of all, Fonte, damn, this motherfucker is actually right. He is on, on, like, on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, poetry was always, for me, wow. it was, you know, and that's why I can appreciate with you, Malcolm, because, you know, when you're saying, you know, I'm a poet, because for me coming up, so much of poets, they were failed MCs, you know what I mean? Like, they weren't really poet. They were, you know, guys that's like, they weren't, good enough to be rappers so they would kind of be in like this middle ground this poetry thing now we're all, just critics yeah but like but, but all they poems would be about like it, it'd just be about fucking and shit you know what i mean <laughs> you know what i mean it, it would just be like dude hey. like, yeah. yeah so so now nah, so i can appreciate the way that you really yeah. take it poetry and even for me so like, you say north carolina had a community we did. We had. We did. We had. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So the the song that he's referring to, um, if you're not, uh, uh, just so we know, mm -hmm. uh, it was called the uh, called the Yo Yo. It was a verse I did. It was on. Um, it was a song, a little brother song. When I first it was. Got. It was a stars board. Like, <laughs> all right, he's, Fonte's really <laughs> underselling it. He really is, y'all. Fonte's underselling it. I say this, and I know I'm world famous for my my uh, my my over exaggerated hyperbole, but I will say. That Fonte's verse on Yo Yo My was Black like Queen. for me. For me, it it was almost it was a Star Is Born Buster Rhymes scenario verse for a Tribe Called Quest. Wow! Because wow, wow. I Ooh, just wow. never, <laughs> I never heard someone wow. just come over and look at my Jenga <laughs> and just be like Snoop Dogg, like fuck your toys, right. little nigga. <laughs> like. <laughs> Somebody you thought yeah. you was playing with. Because hey. I thought we was. I thought and we I was like, wait a minute. I was, thought you were on our side of the fence, sir. And the thing was, I didn't. So when I wrote that verse, it wasn't for y'all. I mean, like, I looked at. First off, I never even looked at y'all as like. Oh, no, yeah. Like, y'all no, were. Like, I mean, we you know, weren't in it. I, I didn't nothing. take personal. You know no, I didn't yeah. take personal offense. And I didn't look at y'all in that way. I didn't look at y'all as poets. You know what I'm saying? Right. Y'all were MC, y'all were musicians. So, nah, that was specifically for poetry. Like, I did it. I was hosting this um poetry uh, night. I got this gig. And uh, it was in Durham, and uh, it was my friend uh, Tracy Ivora and Matt Sherman. They hit us wherever they are. I love Tracy and Matt to this day. Love them. Love them to this day. Um, Tracy is actually the girl on the listening. It's uh, WJLR Slow Jams. That's Tracy. Saying. Right. Okay. So, anyway, okay. so, um, so she had this thing. She was having this poetry night. She was like, Yo, we want you to come host it. And I was like, all right, cool. How much y'all paying? And it was like a hundred dollars in like nigga, a hundred dollars in like two thousand. What shit? It wasn't but ten dollars to fill up my damn my little monster. Nigga, I was eating. I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. So I go and I do the joint and I'm hosting and I'm just being me. You know what I mean? I'm just doing me, I'm talking my shit, you know, just whatever, whatever. And the poets are coming up there and they're really bad. Like this, like they really they kind of suck. Um, and so I'm just talking my shit, whatever. So afterwards, the next day we talk, she calls me after the gig and I get paid and everything. And I'm like, yeah, so when's the next one? Like, I'm ready. I'm like, I'm thinking it's going to be a monthly. I got like a little monthly, my little residency, whatever, my little hundred dollars, nigga. Shit, I'm out here. <laughs> when the next joint? She was like, yeah, so we kind of got some complaints <laughs> from the patrons, you know what I mean? You know, because... I'm like, well, what complaint? Well, you know, it was you saying the N-word. <laughs> and I said, well, Tracy, I don't say the N-word. 
I say nigga. So, like, <laughs> let's clear that shit up real fast. You know what I mean? Like I'm just being me. You know what I mean? And but so yeah, so I I think like maybe like a week or two later, I wrote that verse, and it wasn't at poetry. Oh lord, poetry. I can't believe I'm finding this story out now. <laughs> it wasn't about poets or any you know whatever. It was just about the pretentiousness of that scene. Now, you're, you're I mean, right. It wasn't about people with the crap. It was just the pretentiousness of the scene. It was just like, you know, y'all are up here like claiming to be a higher level of conscious or whatever, but the rappers are rapping about fucking girls and y'all just up here seeing talking about fucking <laughs> girls. Like, get the fuck <laughs> out of here. Right. You know what I mean? So that was where that verse came from. It came from a very real place, but... Well, you know. that was a Star is Born moment. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Montigolo. All right. Yeah. Which like froze me uh, like hit us after you do Malcolm. Okay. (laughs) No, it's it's funny. You 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 gotta love Fonte. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money. What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. Make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done can we at least do rapid fire about yeah, life yeah, 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 like, yeah. absolutely absolutely okay, yes 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 uh, uh, all right look, okay so ac ac cal the eight yo, you, you read my mind god damn it mother you is my motherfucking brother come on come on always that is one of my favorite roles of yours, like your AC role, your sons of Anarch. Like, talk yeah. about those roles where you, I would say, played, I don't want to say played against type, you know what I mean? But something that, you know, people wouldn't think, oh, Theo is in the fucking motorcycle gang, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, so talk about, like, the, the OJ, the AC Collins, man. Like, how'd you prepare for that? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole, um, you know, my whole journey, you know, post-Cosby has always been trying to 
you know, shed some of that Theo sitcom energy and, you know, especially Cosby was really my first comedy role. I was doing dramatic work before Cosby. Oh, I was wow. always known for comedy. And because I'd done, because sitcom is so, you know, ingrained in me, um, I've, I've done a lot of work to, you know, move myself away from that. So I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking for roles that kind of go against type. Um, and AC really, now that I think about it, sparked off uh, a bunch of things that kind of helped move me to this side. Um, yeah. You know, the, the thing I loved about AC was one, that there wasn't a whole lot of research to be done on him because there just wasn't a lot, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but, you know, what I recognize is, you know, um, you know, he and OJ, they used to be, they, they were both the men, right? But then you spend your life, like, you're the man sitting next to the man. Next to the man. You know, mm -hmm. and you live such a lifestyle now that uh, your, you know, your relationship, uh, your livelihood depends upon your relationship uh, with him. You know, and and I've never I've never really been I've never been the man, not that I would ever call myself the man amongst my friends, but I've never been the man sitting next to the man. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but I know a lot of those dudes. So it was it was fun to be able to, you know, to play that side of a relationship that I saw all my life. Is he still with us? I... Yeah. Okay. As far as I know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did you have any talks uh with him prior to the role? Were there any no, none no, of that? No, no yeah. contact. Yeah. Wow. Still, still haven't talked to him. Yeah, now nah, you killed that role, though, man. I love yeah, thank you. Thank I'm you. so happy to see you in that joint. And did that role lead to working with Ryan Murphy again? And what is it like going from that to American Horror? So I started American Horror Story. I did that first. Okay, you did it. Okay, so uh, it was first. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So I was already, so um, and then so was was funny though for for, uh, for people versus OJ. I actually auditioned for Chris Darden. Wow. Um, okay, and okay. that was literally that was one of the best auditions in my life oh, right like oh, my wow. agent like, like the casting director hit my agent up with email like an hour after i left and like gave me prompts i was like <laughs> yeah it was like, it like this is this is that one like i'm about to blow yeah, yeah. the was roof that, off this motherfucker was that sterling and, who was that i, who I, got I, that? I never heard like, he, he was he was dying yeah months went by and i heard nothing ah uh, <laughs> Right. And then I was like, okay. Um, and then out of the blue, Ryan's office called me and offered me the AC role. Mm. And and so based on, you know, the audition for, for Chris. So then when I saw Sterling, I was like, what? Right. Of course. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> what are we talking about? I Between, mean, that made much? him too. That made him too. Like I that mean, really. Yeah. He nah. just, I mean, he, he put his everything. Yeah. He his, is everything from yeah, his toenail to his Achilles heel. He put yeah. in that, yeah, man. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> I would have okay. cast him too. I gotta, I gotta ask. Speaking of that, Lenny have revealed to me that they first came to him. Did he reveal that on our episode? Uh, that what, before Cuba well, Gooding, like I know this is real hard to to imagine, but like OJ. Lenny and OJ are doppelgangers. You gotta, you gotta Google it together. There's, okay. there's a period of OJ's He's life. Talking about Kravitz, y'all. Just so you yes. know. Okay. Yeah. What other Lenny? Not Lenny, Lenny White. Lenny, I mean, <laughs> Lenny nobody's Williams. ever heard the comparison to Lenny, <laughs> oh, Lenny and OJ. So. Or Lenny White, the drummer. Anyway, 
no, no, no. When I was watching um, Ezra's OJ documentary on episode two, you know, it's a four part documentary. Episode two, I was like, damn, I never knew that OJ looked like Lenny Kravitz. And I hit him up like, yo, like, did you know you guys were twins? And he's like, yo, they offered me the role and he didn't take it. Like, mm. I got to think about his butler role. That would be the look. The he butler. didn't want. Yeah. Like, but did you did you realize at all that that Lenny at one point was no. being courted heavily to play OJ's role no. before? No, I didn't know that. This, this is my first time. I'm not. I mean, that, that doesn't that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, so I, mean, I never I didn't hear that. That's it's so beautiful the way it worked out though because people would lo- love when they saw you on the screen like it was a it was a beautiful like surprise like <gasps> the thing that I I admire about the, the roles that you chose like you happen to always show up on shows that I watch a lot <laughs> like you know just on the road I watch everything so like when you were on Community <laughs> Detroiters is one of my all time favorite shows. <laughs> You know, on the low, because I I know the the people that do the production, even the 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 girlfriend's guy, the divorce join, like I there's so much. All all of the shows that you've done is acting still like a journey that you enjoy, or Mm -hmm. is it like uh, it's cool, but you know, like music's like like what's your what's your fifty one forty nine balance here, right? The the acting, I mean, one, it's my bread and butter. Um, right. But I'm also, you know, I, I, I'm hitting a new stride um, as an actor. So my craft is, you know, I have a better handle on my craft. It's just even these uh, five seasons I've been doing on The Resident. The Resident. Mm-hmm. Has um, really been a great playground, you know, to, to, to work on certain tools I need uh, as I continue on this journey of mastery of my craft, mm-hmm. so I'm always looking to to get better. I have this this really dope show coming out on Fox called Accused. Yeah. It's a courtroom uh, anthology series, so like Twilight Zone or Black Mirror, every episode is a standalone separate standalone. Okay. Yeah, but so I have I have an episode of that and these five seasons on the resident have greatly you know, even informed that role because that role is a again a very different role it was very demanding emotionally so just having that experience was like wow like like i am i say with the resident i have finally i'm finally beginning the handle on my craft that i've been chasing since cosby mm. Mm. so there's all of that and it's like oh wow there's all of that that's informed where I am now. Fuck, what's next? Like, <laughs> you right, know, like right, I'm excited right. about that. And then instead of me stressing about, you know, what the next job is going to be, I have the music. Yeah. Right. Well, I would so, say, man, I would say, bro, like I just from as someone that, you know, grew up like watching you on Cosby and um, who, I I knew you were older than me, but, you know, but just, you know, we're in the same range, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, like, I always admired, I, I thought you really grew into yourself really well, you know what I mean? Um, In terms yeah, of... Thank you, Fonte. Thank you, brother. You know what I mean? In terms of just, like, your transition and going from... Because, I mean, we, you know, I mean, child actors, they, they ain't no, no doubt. doubt. 
Right. Well, comrade, right. listen. I say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's yeah, major. Right. That's major. Right. Thank you. Yeah, though. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Thank you. I thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Comrades be fucked up out here, cuz. Yeah. <laughs> For real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Word. But um, but nah, you know, so you know, most child actors, that's a sub transition to make, but I've always admired just the way you kind of transition and you've always seemed to pick roles that were you, and it seemed like it was really yeah, just like a, a lot of class and you just brought, I, I think, you know, when you talk about your process and how you're growing, you know, older and kind of you feel like there's another level of mastery that's there. You know, I, I see that, man. It, it really does shine through in, in everything you do. You know what I mean? And I, you know, I really appreciate it for real. Yeah. I got to ask fan out questions, though. All right, let's go. I got some, too. Go ahead. OK, so a year before the pandemic. All right. So the Roots lived, you know, we moved to london england like in 93 when we got our record deal moved over there and and kind of kept uh an apartment there so that we could tour all of europe extensively without it being like really heavy on our pockets you know paying for flights back and forth to the states like we're just going to live in europe and so like london's the second home for us so we did this gig in London, and it's it's like our biggest crowd yet. So it's like, like fifteen thousand people, and this is not like a, a a festival. This is just like a regular root show, outdoors. And I'm staring at this woman, and I'm like, I know you from somewhere. I don't know where I know you. And she just stood oh. out, like she stood in the middle. And then I did a DJ gig, and. That same woman was like, was, 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 was there. And I was like, where do I know you from? At the end of the night, I was like, excuse me, where, I, do we know each other? And she says, yeah, my name is Denise Pearson. Oh. I was like, fucking five star Denise wow. Pearson. <laughs> what? She started laughing. No. I was like, wait, you know. I said, like, wait, always hung with a Malcolm Jamal Warner. Like the, for me, for me, like and, and, that, and, that, and that, taking taken to the very top of this episode when I told you, like, vicariously, who am I living with? Like, who am I living through? What do you what is you got to give us? Yeah. Give me a second. OK. Like for me in watching and watching you as a kid vicariously living like i would just like wow man the only two people like i, I knew eddie murphy mentioned them once and you <laughs> were always hanging with five star mm. all right do you not know five star uh no wow okay all right this this is all i said you remember the jimmy jam episode where um you know he he spoke of uh Who's our, our 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 my Philly comrade? Oh, Nick Martinelli. Yeah. yeah when yeah. we talked about people that bite Jammin' Lewis. Yeah. Nick Martinelli <laughs> was basically. Uh, I don't want to insult Nick Martinelli. I mean, because he was jamming. The jams was jamming. But I'm saying this through yeah. the mind of Jimmy Jam. If you can't get Jammin' Lewis, you can get Nick Martinelli and <laughs> okay, almost get the good. same results. So like oh. loose ends, right? Five that's star. Right. Like he oh, besides from five star. From the group five star. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh shit. Okay. So I, I'll just say that production wise, like Nick Martinelli had took Jam and Lewis's SOS band sound and gave it to Lucens 
gave it to Phyllis Hyman. Only want to be your girl. That's one. And, and five star, which is basically in my mind, if if pre-controlled Janet Jackson had a group like her brothers, it was this group. Yeah, yeah. they were, but they were big yeah. as shit. They, they, were, were, they were, they were, they were the it, Jacksons oh, of Europe. They were definitely the Jacksons of Europe. Yeah. And at the yeah. time, and at the time when the Jacksons were sort of kind of running on empty between '84 and on, like there was no, there was nobody to really scratch that itch of yeah. watching five people dance at the same time and do those same moves at the yeah. Jack. You know, it's like after the victory tour, the Jacksons were pretty much over in 84. So five star kind of took their place. 100%, yeah. There was new addition, but yeah. Yeah. five star was really that anyway. Like, you know, they were always hanging with Malcolm Jamal. And I was like, wow, man, like <laughs> he's so lucky to know them, man. Like, <laughs> But I just want to ask you in general, your experience in life and coming of age during a period in which might seem normal to you then, but now is like everything you experienced was a classic moment. Like you saw prime new edition. I mean, like you were hanging with Houdini, like you're in the funky beat video, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was about that. Yeah. 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 Right. Like you're, you're hanging with like, I mean, run DMC, Raising Hell era Run DMC was the musical guest on your episode yeah. Yeah. of SNL. Matter of fact, yeah. Spike Ooh, you Lee. A fan even, out. No, I'm just yeah. saying, like Spike it. Lee even did his little uh short film join on Malcolm's episode. Like yeah. I'm almost certain, like this is the one moment where I wish all five of us were together because I know you probably were also a Latin quarter. Regular <laughs> no way. Yes, that was yeah, but I was too young to even be up in there. Right. But, but I'm just was, saying, yeah, like just in general, yeah. It uh, I, I feel like I'm um What was it uh, like to be you? <laughs> right. No, I don't want to sound like um old boy interviewing Paul McCartney on Saturday Night Live. Like that was cool. <laughs> but like you were the man when like the prince I wish I knew uh, was uh, uh. I became his friend like after the fact, you yeah, know. Yeah. But what was it like during that period to be in that to be in the eye of the storm? Because I mean, for all the thing that we can't take away from that show is the domino effect of ideas and seeds planet i mean i yeah. started with the hip-hop yeah. thing but yeah i'm certain yeah. that a lot of us were looking at you know black colleges different yeah. oh 100 no we were no looking doubt. at yeah. education different we were looking my first time here night time is the right time by rachel like that mm -hmm. was oh yeah right so many yeah. firsts so yeah. like for you in general what was your experience like just in the eye of the storm between 84 and 92. You couldn't tell me shit. Oh, no. Were you an asshole? <laughs> no, I wasn't an asshole. Wasn't, okay. It wasn't that, not at all. Um, okay. When, it was, when I first started working pre-Cosby, right, I was doing like Matt Houston, Fame, 
Uh, I was doing. I remember two, your episode of Fame. Yeah, <laughs> I was doing two plays at the same time. Like I'm in seventh grade, and like I'm feeling I'm like I'm at school when people recognize me from TV. So I'm like, yo, I'm I'm that comrade, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yo, I'm the shit. Like so, I was in that space. And then eighth grade came around, and I could not book an audition to save my life. I was mm-hmm. going on like four or five callbacks, not booking anything. And it was hurting my soul. But the message I got was like, wow, this is all cool, but this can go away mm-hmm. just like that. Have no control over it. Yeah. And as soon as I got that epiphany, I booked Cosby. So so that's the first filter through which I have, you know, I handle my whole journey. Mm-hmm. So so I wasn't well, so so the beautiful thing was I wasn't an ass, but I was very present to this life that I'm living. That's good. And and being in New York had a a, a great deal to, to do with that because I wasn't in Hollywood and my best friends weren't on the same lot two stages down yeah. working on their show. Uh-huh. Like we were in New York. Like we were, when we were first in Brooklyn, uh the NBC studios didn't have a commissary. So at lunch we had to go out into the neighborhood and pick up our lunch, wherever we decided we were gonna eat. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're on the number one television show <laughs> in the world. <laughs> There wasn't commissary there? Not 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 at this particular because we were like an Avenue M and East 14th Street. Like this is like deep in Brooklyn. Can I add side note? Yeah. Uh the last season of Cosby, you you know is on the, the catering staff there, right? What? The head cook. Gracie. Yeah, yes, what? yeah, 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 yeah. That's how she, yeah. she started out as a a one of the yeah. head chefs yeah. at the Cosby Grace show. Harry. Oh, yeah, wow. man. Right. Which That's then led her to life. Yeah, no doubt. I remember Grace. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's mad cool. But yeah. In terms of the, because y'all were very, you know, y'all were children, um, were, did they, because you talked about how Cosby in the writer's room, how he would talk about, you know, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Did he or Felicia or just any of the adults on the show, did they kind of give y'all game as young actors as well? Was the educational in that way? It was for me, it was just watching. Okay. Right. Like gotcha. it was me like understanding, you know, we're on this number one television show in the world. Um, but every weekend Mr. Cosby is in Atlanta, Tahoe, or Vegas doing stand up Friday, Saturday, It'll Sunday, work. and then be the work the first person back at work on Monday. Mm. Right. So I'm seeing like I'm seeing that kind of grind, you know, and I'm seeing the, you know, the 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 work that he's putting into the show i'm seeing the fights that he's having uh so all so much of that was was just by watching watching him um i've probably I've, i'm sure i've learned more from him than more from him from watching him than him sitting me down and being actually talking about right? but i listen and he's one of those people who is willing to share all of his knowledge with anyone who's willing to listen so i also you know i listened a lot i listened to you know i was i mean i was it was a great apprenticeship uh, in terms of running a show, uh, in terms of of handling the uh, responsibility of living in the public eye. All right, y'all. You know what season it is. Tis the season for spring breaking and planning our summer travel. And if you're like me, you're already in your Airbnb app trying to find which spot is right for you. Now, listen, while I'm looking to spend all this money, What I'm not doing is thinking about making money with Airbnb. See, you got to change your mind state. 
make the money while you're spending the money. How, you say, Laia, do I make the money? Well, you host at your house. And I know what you're thinking. I mean, my whole house? Uh, Well, no, you don't have to do your whole house. I mean, you could do a room or, you know, do the whole house. So make some money while you're spending some money this summer. I'm trying to tell you, your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. You guest directed the special ed episode, correct? I, I directed like like six episodes, but not the one Ed was on. Which ones did you do? Well, give us a couple. I know them all by heart, but I. Oh, I just, okay. I'll let Amir tell us. It's oh, okay. No, no, no. I don't know. I, I, that's <laughs> the thing. I'm, off to see the wretched. You gonna give us with the Vanessa title? friends. Oh. When, 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 when they got drunk. When they got drunk. And they went to the. Uh, they went to see some 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 group. Yes. Oh. In Philly, and Cliff and Claire had to drive to Philly to go get them. Right. They got yes. in trouble. And then they had to play the drinking game. Have big fun. Yeah. No, no, not that one. I have a different one. Okay. So okay. about, yeah, they were they were they were in Philly. They got these tickets. They drove up, you know, let anybody know. And then I think uh, a scalper scammed them and took right. the ticket. Right. And then they the car broke down. I remember that they, episode. They lied to Cliff and Claire about where they were going. So Cliff and Claire had to That's drive right. to Philly to get them and bring them back. And so when you're doing directing, like I noticed that some of those episodes you weren't in at all. Like was that by design? Like okay, my character won't be in this particular episode. Like I will. I think in the in the episodes that I directed, they definitely wrote me lighter. Uh, okay. Just sometimes there were just times we weren't in them for you know for whatever reason. At the point when Theo went to college, did they start asking you for your opinions on things? Like, or did they ever before that or at any point did you have any on the writing? It was moments when oh. I I saw you come home and like they were listening. You were listening to De La Soul, and I was like, in my you know in my mind, I'm like, Malcolm did that because right, they don't, right. they don't right like yeah. but. Yeah, stuff like that. Like the so the very last episode, I submitted a demo. Me and Spaceman Patterson submitted a demo for the theme song. They ended up not using our demo, but they used the drum track that I programmed. Like they okay. they they use my drum patterns, right? <laughs> they change the sounds, but they use my drum. She's like, okay, got it. Um, so I mean, there was there was definitely uh, wait for the last season. Yeah, 
So you helped do the music of when they're dancing in front of the the brick wall, the Mother Hill house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, Yo, I know. wait. Oh, God. I have so many questions to ask you now. Oh, shit. The intros. Oh, no, shit. No, not even the intros. Oh, okay. But I always wanted to know. Okay, there was one There was one particular episode in which, for the life of me, I, I will never understand how this happened. You know, normally they will make, if, if someone's listening to outside music, mm-hmm. you know, they'll have whatever. I know like Stu Gardner, somebody would make up uh, a song, a fictional song or whatever for you guys to listen yeah, to. Yeah. But this one particular episode, I couldn't believe that not only uh, was like Blackie who wrote, like if, if you remember the the episode, this is when I first got a VCR. So you remember like when you first get your VCR and you just record any and everything I mean, yeah, or yeah. am I way too older than you? No, okay. you're, no yes. you're good. You're oh, good, you're good. No. I'm way older than you too. So. I'm just saying that when you get a VCR, you record everything and you watch it over again. So this one particular episode, they use the actual uh, Black Uhuru, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which is, uh, oh, Spoon oh, Break. Spoon uh, Break, right, right. Which, which, you know, the whole, I say eight month thing. Oh, yeah. But for me, yeah, yeah. I always wanted to know. So there's a scene where Vanessa and Robert are listening to Cosmic Slop by Funkadelic. And I was like, yo, these two are 12 years old. Wow. <laughs> what do they know about listening to a song from 1973 about a mother that has to turn tricks in the alleyway to feed her? <laughs> like it was such I was watching it with a with a with a, a musician friend of my dad's, and he was like, wait a minute. Are they really playing cosmic slop by Funkadelic right now on the Cosby? That was like one of the most revolutionary moments, but I always wow. wanted to know. Like, I know that wasn't by accident or di- yeah. like, I know that was on purpose. Who would, is that the writers? No, no, is no, that, no. that was, Mr. That, Music that Supervisor? Was, that was either Mr. Cosby or Stu Gardner. Uh, probably, probably Mr. Cosby. Wow. Know? So at the time, I, I know that scene, I, I I was probably too young to know Cosmic Slop. So, right. Uh, but now that you're saying that, because I know the song, like, that's such a genius Yes, it's such a genius move. Yeah, really subversive. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was. I mean a, that that really turned me on. Before that moment, those Funkadelic records were just scary album covers in my dad's collection. And I was like, mm, whatever. And then suddenly, like, <laughs> oh wait, this was on the Cosby Show. Like literally every. It's a lot of records that we found like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. candy and mm-hmm. all that stuff. So mm-hmm. again, I, I I go back to my first question. What was for you like one of the coolest moments of the advantage of being your career? Because I, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I also know that back then there was sort of this thing where it was like you versus, dare I say, Kirk Cameron. Kirk Cameron. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Again, you transitioned very well. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yo, for real, for real, dog, for real, for real, for real. Thank you, Malcolm. Yeah, and it's—I yeah. I just felt like you really never got your props for mm. what you represented yeah. on yeah. that show. Yeah, but just in general, like, what was like one of the coolest moments of that experience? 
yeah, yeah. like meeting someone otherworldly or just sure. like, wow, I get to see this concert because, you know, like. That could be a two hour conversation in itself. But I'm going to tell you one that stands out because since you brought it up. So we're at, we're at SNL, right? Uh-huh. I'm rehearsing my opening monologue. And my opening yeah. monologue was about, I just learned how to do the WAP. Right, because I was I was at I was at at, at LQ. And right. Everybody was whopping, and my man Darren Jaime finally taught me how to how to whop. Right, so right. my old monologue is about me trying to learn this dance, and then uh, Dana Carvey comes in, and he's really trying to show me how to do the dance. So it's a real goofy, uh, it's a real goofy, uh, opening monologue. So we're rehearsing, and um, Run, uh, you know, Run and Daryl come in, and they're, they're they're early, so they're sitting down. Uh, they're watching us, you know, do the monologue and, you know, the band starts playing and I start, you know, doing the walk. Mm-hmm. We finished the piece. They say, they play the Run said, yo, D, you hear that? They playing my melody. Run looked at me. He was like, yo, you did that? I was like, yeah. He was like, he gave me the look, Right. Run DMC is impressed because I'm on SNL doing right. the WAP, having the band playing Eric B and Rakim's my melody. The, the, right. Run is right. looking at me like this. I'm so proud of you. Right. <laughs> oh, and I'm like 15. Right. So to get that luck from Run, <laughs> like wow, yeah, wow. This is a lot of them, but that's definitely, you know, for a 15-year-old kid, you know, loving to run DMC to get that kind of recognition. I think, like, you know, spend the night at an aunt's house or whatever, and, you know, and I got to see that episode, man. That <laughs> that that was everything. Yo, dog, I, I can I can nerd out forever. Normally, mm-hmm. I'm about to look at the clock, right? Jesus Christ, this is a wow. two-and-a-half-hour episode. Wow. Sorry, wow. but, I mean, you're... You know you a legend, right? Time flies, so, man. What, what, what we you having fun? No, this is this is. You're a living man. legend, friend. And I'm talking to legends, so it's a whole, it's a thing. I do it all the time. You it's know, really I, cool. <laughs> I really thank you for talking to us, and 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 you know, I'm I'm one of your biggest fans, dog. And yeah. in ways you can, <laughs> in ways in ways I can't explain. I just I I thank you. I I really don't have any other words, but. You know, thank you. Thank that. you, Vera. Do people still walk up to you and say, I brought you in this world and I'll take you out? Fortunately, not. Okay, uh, good. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yo, I mean, just to like 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 this is wait a minute. Didn't you just do something based on that, uh Ponte? Uh for Sherman's showcase. I just heard I brought you in this world and I'll take you out reference. I don't know if it was a song reference or just a line reference. It might have been a line reference, but I okay, okay, I, okay. I, I did. We didn't do a song. I did. I just crazy. I just thought of this. So the first podcast, what essentially got me this job, the very first podcast I did, me and uh, shot my man DJ Brainchild. Our first podcast was called Gordon Gartrell. Gordon Gartrell. That's right. <laughs> Shit. Hey, we talk- 
We saw yeah. yo yeah. Malcolm, you like, lucky. We could have Jimmy Jams. Yeah, and our logo was you. It was you in the shirt like this. It like that was our logo. Like it was. Crazy. That's right. So, I forgot yeah. the 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 genesis of this very podcast <laughs> was the Gordon Cartrell podcast, right which I stole. Fonte, yes. I, uh, yo, I he's totally so lucky. Well, yeah, I, mean, I mean, we were done. Our show was done by the time we started this. But yeah, but nah, man. I no, you. I said to say you've been a part, Malcolm. You've been a part of our of our cultural you know just everything for yeah. a very long time and um just to be able to see you still just after all these years like still flourishing still working and like still you know got your good sense out on no dope and no dumb shit like yeah. that like yeah. you 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 make you make the 50s you make your 50s look real good brother for real. Word. i appreciate that man wait yes, i gotta yes. say just for me this is this is this has been I, I don't even know the word affirming. It's been wonderful. It's been you know, but it's because I respect both of you so much. Yeah, um, thank just you, you know, as an MC, when we talk about it's like you guys like I talk about this love hate relationship I have with hip hop, right? Mm -hmm. But there is still like I can't trash hip hop because you guys are still hip hop, right? You know so that's what we all say, you know, right? So it's like it's like. You know, Felicia, Rashad, you, you know, you were telling me that, you know, the, the light and the dark will always coexist. They have to. Right. Um, there's always going to be that battle. So I just appreciate that, you know, you guys are still around and still relevant enough to be like, no, but, yo, this is, you know, we still got this. So we don't even really have to dog hip hop. Right. Let right. them have that. Let them have that. We got our thing. We got, yeah. yeah. No so, one expected it to last this long. Like, no, I don't think anyone expected it to be 50-year-olds that are still invested in hip-hop. I, I don't think anyone, right. even the record companies when they first started, I mean, I don't think anyone expected it to last as long as it did. So the idea of growing old or growing up in hip-hop, I mean, I think that's a rarely new conversation of like the last, you know, decade or so maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Look, I remember being 25, and I remember being like, nobody's going to want to hear comrades rapping at 50. <laughs> and hey. like, Wait like, for that but, new Jay-Z record. But, like. but, now, but now who we are, like, yep. <laughs> you yep. know what I'm saying? Yep. Kane is killing it. Slick yep. Rick is killing it. Like, it's, you know, Black Kim Thought is, is, ki Black you know, thought Black, is Black killing just, it. He's, yeah. uh, thought is in a, in a and, and he's on the level, like, all unto him. He owns his own lane. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so to have you guys still be relevant forces is just as a hip-hop fan uh i'm so appreciative but just as you know a fan of both of you guys you know amir like i've been rocking with y'all said back when marvin mack gave me this this single <laughs> <laughs> you and wesley were definitely one of the first the first like pioneers or or gods that came to see us like that yeah, consistently. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you man, you yeah. asked me if I remember the Belly Up Club. It's like, yo, dog, like that whole bus ride. I was like, yo, man, welcome to my one of Wesley Snipes. Fuck it, Brooklyn. Yeah, and just that's what the, it was like. And and, and just you know, I, I, I want to reiterate again because I don't want it to get lost. It's in how influential you guys were on what I do musically. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because. I watched you first, so this is <laughs> yeah, this is reciprocation. Yeah, yeah. 
And on that note, I just want to say something that has not been said. Thank you for giving us a space to talk about one of all of our favorite shows of all times. It's not always easy to talk, to speak lovingly about a thing that we love so much, but, you know, things have changed and stuff. So thank you for engaging. The show is a show. The show raised us. You know what I'm saying? So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No doubt. All right. So on behalf of Fontigolo, Laia, uh, Sugar Steve, and Unpaid Bill, y'all, y'all missed the classic one. Uh, thank you, Malcolm Jamal Warner. This is Questlove signing off for Questlove Supreme, and we will see you on the next go-round. Questlove Supreme is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.